Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Welcome to this week's episode of the European Tour Podcast with me, Dan Burke, brought to you by One Football. We've got a packed show this week and later on we're going to be talking Serie A, Scottish football and the Bundesliga. But first up, joining me in part one of the show to talk all things League Er is Luca Iborn. Hi Dan, hi. Welcome to the show. So ours is becoming a, a bit of a tradition on this podcast, or at least I'm trying to make it a tradition. I want to start by asking you what your personal favourite moment of the week in French football was. Um, there was actually a nice story during the weekend. Um, it's about Jérôme Fojo. So it's not a big name. I, g- I guess you don't know him. Uh, he doesn't play for a big club either. Um, but this weekend he was in a Clermont squad for the first time since September 2019, when Clermont was still in, uh, in Ligue 2. Uh, so mm-hmm. since then he suffered uh, mononucleosis. I hope I say that uh, correctly. And then he had phlebitis in a leg. So he had very hard two years. And yeah. after fighting those difficulties, he played for the f- uh, second team in January for the first time. And this weekend, he was uh, in the Ligue 1 squad for the first time, after two years then, uh, against Monaco, his first club uh, in professional uh, football. Uh, so he didn't play, but it was nice to see him uh, in the squad and hopefully he can help Clermont uh, to stay in the top flight, which is going to be hard because they, they lost again 4-0 against uh, Monaco. So Yeah, I was going to say they're struggling a little bit, aren't they? But uh, yeah, they maybe did. this will inspire them. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Ligue 1 then. I, I suppose the best place to start is is at the top of the table with PSG. They're 11 points clear at the moment, but is it fair to say that maybe Mauricio Pochettino's time in charge has been a little bit underwhelming so far? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a weird season for PSG. Um they probably played the, their worst football since Qatar took over. Um but they always have the talent or luck to win mm-hmm. or draw. So it's kind of a weird feeling because no one in Ligue 1 matches their talent. That's obvious. Um, they have a really strong spine with uh, Donnarumma or Navas. Uh, both of them are really good this season uh, in goal. Um, in defense, they have Marquinhos, which is really strong as well, captain, mm-hmm. and is one of the best centre back in the in the in football uh, at the moment. Uh, in midfield, they have Verratti as well, really good, and in front, of course, Mbappe. But with all this talent, uh, Pochettino doesn't manage to make uh, the whole team. Uh, work together and I think that's been the problem in Paris for ages now but um, we, we know uh, you know as a Premier League uh, followers that uh, Pochettino uh, like to play intense football mm. um, like he did with, with Tottenham but with Messi, Mbappe and Neymar um, in front uh, I guess you just can't and that's kind of one of the problem because you have to make them play obviously you can't leave um, Messi or, or Neymar on the bench but you can't make them play the way you want. So it's been the case for a couple of years now, and they keep buying amazing players. You, <laughs> you, you don't, you, you can't say that Messi is an amazing player, of course. Mm. But they can't make uh, play the, them together. So yeah, it's really weird for Pochettino because it's enough for Ligue 1, of course. Well, of, of sometimes it's not because we saw last year when Lille won that Paris uh, is not unbeatable. But it doesn't seem enough for for Champions League, uh, which is a real target for PSG. So yeah, I read, I read an interesting interview with Pochettino a little while ago where he was saying that you know people think we've got Messi, we've got Mbappe, we've got Neymar, the three of the best players in the world. It must be easy, but he said it's quite hard to kind of find a style of play that that suits all three of them because they're all different players, they all have different needs, they all have egos, and and it's kind of hard to fit 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 the three of them into a system. I suppose that's quite quite underrated. But yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the Champions League because obviously. I'm 
I'm a Manchester City fan and, and the perception <laughs> of Manchester City is that Pep Guardiola must win the Champions League above all else. Nothing else matters. And the reality is quite different. I think the Premier League is perhaps the most important thing that City have to play for. Obviously, PSG have a similar ownership model. They're yeah. going to win the league and title. I think we can pretty much guarantee that. Yeah. But do you believe Pochettino can deliver the Champions League to Paris? And if he doesn't, is is he going to be fired in the summer? I don't know, but I'm not even sure uh, now Pochettino feel any kind of uh, pressure. And, and the reason is because... Everyone expects him to leave at the end of the season, no matter what. Yeah. Obviously, if Paris wins the Champions League, maybe he can change something. But I'm not sure they, they will. And even they do, I'm not sure it's going to make any difference for him. Yeah, for coaches in general at PSG, is that a, is that a big problem for them that they go there and it, to, to, in order to be a success, you have to win the Champions League? Yeah, obviously, but no one did it in 10 years. Mm. So yeah. maybe it's something else, the problem, but they can't see it. And that, I think that's a problem with PSG. Yeah. The bit, the other big question, uh, Mark over over a PSG player at the moment is Kylian Mbappe. Is he still going to be there next season? Do you think? I mean, there's some talk this week that PSG could convince him to sign a new contract to avoid losing him on a free transfer. Do you think that's that's realistic at all? Yeah, with PSG, everything seems realistic. I mean, who expected uh, to see um, Lionel Messi in Ligue 1 last summer? Yeah. Not me, for sure. <laughs> and with Mbappe, they don't really need the money. Otherwise, they would have sold him in to the Real to Real Madrid uh, last summer, I guess. So for me, uh, it has to be the matter of three things. The pride, maybe, not to see him leaving for free, uh, to show the fans that they did everything to ke- they could to, to mm-hmm. keep him. Um, they also might want to keep him uh, because, obviously, uh, everyone knows that uh, in December, the World Cup is uh, heading to Qatar. And, you know, software marketing, they might want to keep uh, Mbappé in the squad uh, this year for this. And the last thing would be that Mbappé... Uh, love records and I think he is interested to become PSG top scorer ever he has now uh, 151 goals and Cavani has 200 so 50 goals in uh, one and a half season he could do it easily so who knows yeah. What if they appointed Zinedine Zidane as the coach? Would that maybe pot- uh, potentially convince Mbappe to stay? Yeah, he was one of, obviously, love Real Madrid, uh, Kylian Mbappe. But Zidane there, it was one of the big things to, to make him move. Um, so now is now that um, Zidane could could hit to Paris, maybe he could change something. But I, I really think that Mbappe wants Real Madrid anyway. So he will mm-hmm. go there after this summer or after one year maybe, but he will go there anyway. And would Zidane go to PSG because of his Marseille connections, do you think? I think he doesn't really care. And I think in Marseille, yeah. actually, you know, he, he obviously wasn't at the stadium when he was a kid, but he never played for Marseille, never coaches for Marseille. Um, and in Marseille, we don't really care. Because I'm a Marseille fan, obviously. Yeah. I, I forgot to mention that, but it's not like he's a proper player or former something from Marseille. You know, He's from Marseille, but we know he has great bond with uh, the Qatar, so that definitely could happen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mbappe also was overheard criticising the, the league-earned referees during the win over Brest at the weekend. I think yeah. he said something like, uh, it's always the same with referees in this league. Is that a fair criticism? Are they particularly bad in league Earn, would you say? Let's not start with referees in Ligue 1. If you, <laughs> if you know. I mean, they always want to play the sheriff, but it's like in every league now, players and staff always shouting at them doesn't help. So, yeah. But I mean, on this one, Mbappe just complained because Brest, a Brest player insulted him and right. the ref didn't hear it, but that's it. It's not much. Like, it's, oh, okay. I'd say it's more like El Chiringuito news, but 
Yeah, oh, okay. Nothing <laughs> Fair big. <enough. laughs> well, speaking of El Chiringuito, there's also a bit of talk probably emanating from them about Lionel Messi, uh, that his family haven't settled in Paris. He might want to leave in the summer and maybe go back to Barcelona. Is there any truth to that, do you think? And, and how has Messi done so far at PSG? Not great. It's crazy to say, but not great. I mean, mm. the thing is, is still Messi, but he's getting older. And as you said, it's a completely new um, experience for him and his family in Paris. I'm sure he misses Barcelona. That's 100% sure. Um, there have also been rumors with Inter Miami, uh, which is uh, led by um, David Beckham now. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's really hard to know what's right and wrong uh, in all these rumors. I think Messi is very focused on, on coming back after several weeks uh, out due to COVID. Uh, he wants to prove that he can do it in Liga and also win to the, the Champions League one more and then... Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Uh, moving down the table now into second place, our Nice. Uh, after guiding Lille to the title last season and now what he's doing with Nice this season, is there a, a better coach in France than Christophe Gaultier at the moment? Well, there are plenty of, of great coaches in Liga um, that I could name. And it feels actually good to say it because after plenty of years of the same guys switching clubs every now and then, I, I think you have the same problem in the Premier League. Mm. Um you had actually, uh, but yeah, Galtier is one of the best of them, uh, and shows he has. I think he, he understood Liga very well. He knows how to create a winning mentality uh, in the group. Um, nice has the second defense, I think, with equality with um, uh, Paris. Mm. Um, they're very, they, they have very skilled striker to kill games. So they they show it against uh, Brest two weeks ago. They, they won like three 0 after being down to ten men very early in the game. But they just stuck together with a great uh, Benitez in the goal. And then Dolberg, Delors and Guiri, which are the, the main three, three strikers. Uh, they scored the three goals and that's it. That's uh, actually the recipe for Ligue 1. Yeah. yeah. So why, why did Galtier leave Lille straight after winning the title? I think he was done with them. Um, there is, I think we, we're going to talk about it a bit later. But Lille, they have um, a really weird... Uh, they change owners a couple of times. Mm. Lately, they needed money. So Galtier knew that he was going to lose players. Actually, they didn't lose that many players, but they might leave uh, uh, this summer now. Mm. And also he's very um, friend with uh, a guy in Nice, which is, uh, he's now a sporting director in Nice, uh, Julien Fournier. So he, he knew he could go there and they have a really, really strong um, uh, prospect in Nice. Yeah. So projects as well. So... Yeah, it was a good time for him to leave after winning. Of course, I'm, I'm not sure you can do it twice with PSG. So yeah, you've got to know when to quit. That's uh, that's a, the old yeah. the old saying in football. Yeah, some people don't, but he certainly does. Uh, yeah, let's talk a bit bit, bit more about your beloved Marseille now. Then uh, they could only draw with Lille at the weekend, but they're they're only two points behind Nice in third with a game in hand. Are you uh, are you pretty pleased with how things have gone under Georges Sampaoli this season? It's actually a weird season as well for OM. Um, they started with a crazy win, 3-2 over Montpellier for the first game of the season in August. And everyone was thinking like, OK, it's going to be roller coaster games every weekend, crazy games, 4-4, 2-3, blah, blah, blah. And in the end, some poly football is like uh, Spain in 2010. So they defend by keeping the ball and that's it. 70% of uh, the ball, of the ball position. And then it makes actually some games quite boring, which I didn't expect from uh, some poly. But they have the best defense, um, so it kind of works, but they have some trouble in, in front. Uh, they don't score as much as they should, and it was a case against Lille, as you said, they, they drew this weekend. So if they want to a top three finish, 
uh, they have to perform better in attack because for now on it's just uh, Payet and Sengizandera that works, but otherwise it's a bit quite it's a bit difficult. Yeah, they battered Lille as well. There was like 25 shots on goal or something, yeah, something yeah. crazy like that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, a couple of weeks ago, Marseille won their first match away at Bordeaux since 1977. Uh, I couldn't believe that. 44 years and <laughs> yeah. 36 games since their last win away at Bordeaux. How the hell did that run last so long? Well, it actually became crazy in the last 10, 15 years because mm. uh, Marseille went really close a couple of times, like Bordeaux scoring very late, uh, harsh uh, referee decision. And because um, also Bordeaux is getting worse and worse footballistically, so they don't have much to play uh, for during the mm-hmm. season. And the game against Marseille is always the game. So <laughs> it's crazy, but it's actually bigger against Marseille than PSG, which is, yeah, it's a bit weird to say. And um, the thing is, yeah, so some actually some fans complain because it, it felt like Bordeaux was more playing not to lose against Marseille anymore. Mm. So, and now it happened, maybe Bordeaux can focus on something else because yeah. they have a lot of trouble too. Yeah, they sure do. Well, they're struggling in the relegation zone. They were beating 6-0 by Rennes this weekend. It's their worst points tally since 1959-60 when they were relegated. What, what's going on there? It's it's getting crazy in Bordeaux. Um, they changed uh, owners three times in the last couple of years. And the new one, Gerard Lopez, saved them last summer. But it's always kind of cloudy what's going on with uh, when he owns clubs. He did it uh, at Lille. Uh, now his company also owns uh, Boavista in Portugal and, Mous- and Mucron in Belgium. And they always complained about it. So in Bordeaux, the team, I mean, the players aren't great. Uh, the atmosphere is really weird. Some players have been removed from the first team, uh, including uh, ex-gunners uh, and captain of Bordeaux, uh, Laurent Koscielny. Mm. Um so yeah, they're trying to sell a lot of players this winter, and also the, the coach, which is um, who is Petkovic. So yeah. the, the one who got France out from the the last Euro with Switzerland, he's in big trouble yeah. now, um, and actually he could be sacked this weekend if uh, Bordeaux uh, doesn't win against Strasbourg. So it's very dark time in Bordeaux, and yeah, it's it's a bit sad because they're six time winner, Ligue 1 winners. So yeah. Yeah, I read that they might have uh, struggle finding the money to uh, to sack Petkovic as well. Actually, he's, yeah, he's, that's, he's that's why they're selling players. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> crazy. Uh, Monaco are currently fourth. They recently sacked their manager Nico Kovac and hired Philippe Clement. Um, was that a, a little harsh on Kovac, or do you think it was the right decision? Well, from outside, it, it looks harsh. Um, but Paul Mitchell, who, who is the, the sporting director, he said that the mm. club targets were not matched, and that's what he had to take a decision. Uh, it's been said that Wissam Benyeder, who is a captain, uh, wasn't happy either uh, with Kovac because he was not uh, starting games, even though he's still the best uh, top scorer in Ligue 1 at the moment. He keep he keeps scoring. So yeah, Monaco went for Philippe Clément, who won like three times the Belgian league, and they have the top three target now, and they can do it because Ligue 1 is really close after PSG. But it was a bit weird that Kovac, yeah. Kovac was loved by everyone in Liga, not journalists, uh, players, fans. It only seems that uh, the one who is in charge didn't like him, so unfortunately for him. But yeah, <laughs> that's how football works. Yeah, well, I, I heard uh, that, that Paul Mitchell was kind of frustrated that they could never get into the top five of the table and now the fourth. So yeah, maybe it's looking like the right uh, the right move to, to get rid of him. I want to ask you in a moment about a few uh, league earned players who have been the subject of a lot of transfer speculation this month. But first, what's this I hear about uh, Hatem Benar? joining Lille yeah interested um, interested and it's a bit of a gamble as always with him um, Lille is now his seventh club in Ligue 1 
Wow. <laughs> so he didn't, yeah, he didn't play for six months. He was uh, in Bordeaux last season. He started well, as usual, I, I think. Uh, I mean, it's always the same, yeah, with him. Uh, he's a brilliant player. Mm. But the thing is, he can also affect a group with his style of play. You know, always going alone uh, on goal and stuff like that. He did in Newcastle as well. He, he scored amazing goals. Yeah. But in the end, I mean, you remember crazy goals. So as a, as a Lille fan, I would be happy to have a kind of... Um, crazy player in my in my squad he can do everything but also i mean you're not sure he's gonna be there for a long time you don't know if it's gonna work like two games in a row that's for sure so yeah bit of a gamble for him but i mean in league everyone is excited to see him play because he he's a hell of a player so yeah it's gonna be fun it's gonna be eventful you can pretty much guarantee yeah. that can't you yeah <laughs> it's not going too well for leon this season but they've got uh, brazilian duo lucas paqueta and bruno guimaraes uh, how good are they and, and how much longer do you think they'll be staying at leon um to start with paqueta he's been really really good for three four months at the beginning of the season probably one of the best if not the best player in Liga. Then he had a rough winter, but it seems back on track now. Um, he's a really good player, top talent. Uh, he will definitely play higher someday. But he, he likes Lyon, so he cannot wait for a big club. He, he doesn't want to, 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 to move too, too fast outside uh, from Lyon. So maybe Lyon can keep him like one or two more years. Um, as far for Bruno Guimaraes, he isn't as shiny as Paqueta on the, on the pitch. Uh, but he showed against PSG uh, and against Ferrati a couple of days ago that he's really great too. Um, we know that Arsenal, Juventus, Roma are said to be interested. So I think if a club matches uh, Lyon's demand, which is around 45 million euro, uh, he could leave as soon as uh, this winter probably. Right, wow. Uh, there's also two young players at Monaco who are making waves. Uh, you can correct me on my probably terrible pronunciation of these names. Uh, Benoit Badiashile and Aurelien Chumaini. Yeah, Am I right? Oh, it was perfect. Oh, it was perfect. Oh, okay. Good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that attracts a lot of attention. Are they, are they the real deal? They are. Um, actually, I mean, Aurelien Chumaini for sure uh, is going gonna, is gonna, to uh, most likely play in a very, very big club this summer. I mean, um, Chelsea, Real Madrid, Juventus are interested. Uh, he played for France already. He was really good for France every time he played. So already at international level. Uh, but Yashile is also really good. Um, maybe a little under uh, Chomeny. Also, he doesn't play uh, at the same position. Um, but yeah, we all heard that uh, Newcastle uh, wants <laughs> him this uh, winter. I think Monaco um, rejected a bit of 40 million euros. Uh, he could leave. He could leave, uh, but he won't force anything this um, this uh, winter. Sorry. Yeah, I think I think Newcastle have been linked with every player in France at one stage Probably, yeah. this month, haven't they? It seems like it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the last player was Jonathan David at Lille. Um, he's looking really good as well. Do you think he's likely to stay until the end of the season? And if so, what next for him? He will. Yeah, he will stay in in Lille uh, for the rest of the season for sure. Um, his agent confirmed that he want to finish the season and then he will go because Lille needs money, as I said uh, earlier. But uh, yeah, the, 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 his agent said that he likes Premier League and La Liga, so I guess there will be a lot of clubs chasing after him. And of course, with Mbappe and Haaland moving, maybe too, uh, that could uh, lead to a big uh, summer for strikers. So and yeah, for sure, Jonathan David will be one of them. Yeah. Uh, before I let you go, I want you to uh, give your own podcast a little plug, please, Luca. For any French-speaking listeners out there, tell us about that. 
Yeah, so it's called uh, Fußball Total. I have a very French accent. Uh, we <laughs> talk about German football actually in French, so it's every month on every platform. So yeah, let's get a try. Joining me now for part two to talk Serie A and a little bit of Scottish football is Podrig Whelan. Hey Dan. Hello, Podrick. Welcome aboard. So, uh, as I'm, I'm asking every single person who comes on this podcast now, uh, what was your favourite uh, personal moment of the week in Italian football? Uh, it's going to sound like a bit stereotypical, I suppose, because it's Italian football, but, I mean, it's a bit of a lazy old stereotype now anyway, but the 0-0 draw, actually, on Sunday night, <laughs> the Atalanta game was actually, for a 0-0, like if anyone didn't see it, it's one of the, the better 0-0 games I've I've ever seen like two really good, high quality teams. Both goalkeepers made some good saves, yeah. some big messes, a few like really good moments here and there in the game. And it's like the it's obviously the first time um, in a year. I think the the stat was that Inter haven't scored a goal in Serie A, and I think it's now five straight clean sheets away for them as well. So they haven't ever done that um, in like the three points for a win either. So. Lot of like um, lot of barriers broken as well, and yeah. the fact that we stopped Atalanta scoring as well. Um, I was more surprised to see that start after the game actually, that it was. <laughs> I think it's six out of the last ten times they've played each other, and have actually kept a clean sheet. Which, when you think about Atalanta, you, I mean, they score goals against anyone and everyone, and they usually score a lot. So yeah, to see that, it's quite a surprise. But I mean, Handanovic really had to play well um, to keep the clean sheet, and Musso made. An absolutely incredible save from Alexis Sanchez as well, who's like a man reborn these yeah. days. Well, was, I mean, for for a nil nil, uh, really enjoyable game at the weekend. Don't they call it the uh, the perfect game in Italy? A nil nil draw, yeah, like, from the Catanaccio era. Yeah. yeah, I think it was a journalist in the sixties. Yeah, like a really famous Italian journalist said, "Yeah, the perfect game of football will always end nil <laughs> nil." So, yeah, not sure I agree with that, but. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I wanted to ask you, I mean, uh, listeners will probably guess from your accent that you're not Italian. Um, wh- where does your love of Italian football originate from? And, and you're also a to- Torino fan, so why Torino? Uh, do you know what? I, I really can't remember um, all that much uh, where exactly it came from. I just remember what uh, another one, this is going to sound bad, this is going to sound like I'm a real defensive-minded guy, but I remember really watching the, <laughs> remember the 2003 Champions League final, the one at Old Trafford? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Obviously, that was a nil-nil and a pretty brutal game. But I remember watching that and just like kind of like really being fascinated with the the teams. And even before that, like um, I'd seen like Juventus live, like playing in the Champions League and stuff, and Del Piero scoring free kicks, and you'd, like Baggio and Totti and stuff. So I think when when you're a bit younger, like late nineties, early two thousands, it was. I mean, it was kind of the league to watch, almost like um, yeah, outside of your own. Um, like some of the superstars they had and the money that was, I mean, it seemed like the transfer record was getting broken um, every summer or every so often in Italian football. It was just crazy, obviously, the money that was being spent. Um, so yeah, I just always, always just preferred that to watching like um, the Premier League or La Liga or Bundesliga. And then Torino just, um, just came from like getting into the league and really reading about their history, which I think, I mean, you could do a whole podcast probably on yeah. Torino's history and like how kind of tragic and and comic it is. Like if I would say people might know about the the plane crash that that wiped out 
basically one of the best um, Italian football teams ever that they had mm. um, in the 40s. But even even in the 70s, it's probably a bit of a lesser known story. But the Torino had a had a winger called Gigi Maroni who was like absolutely worshipped and superstar. And he was like, I think they almost called him like the George Best of Italian football, like around that time. Yeah, and um, he was leaving uh, the stadium after a game one night, was hit by a car killed and then years later the guy who was driving the car went on and actually became the club president so <laughs> it's kind of the, the, the club that they are almost it's, uh, it's that just history is just yeah it's so rich and incredible as I said you could spend a whole podcast talking about, about that yeah. maybe save some of the, the other ones for another time yeah, like a lot of '90s kids, I was raised on uh, on football Italia yeah. on Channel Four, so I used to I used to love it as well. And then I read that book at some point in my teens, uh, "The Miracle of Castel di Sangro." Have you oh, ever read that yeah, book? yeah, incredible book, yeah. man, incredible book. Although by the, the end, books he, read, he, yeah. he kind of uh, the the author really just didn't understand what he was in for by the end. Right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, 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 but yeah, it's a great book as well. Yeah. Yeah, I'd recommend anyone read that. But yeah, my interest waned in Italian football a little bit, but I'm I'm getting back into it now. It's, it seems to be uh, getting getting very interesting these days. Um, Torino are doing pretty well at the moment. They uh, they they beat Sampdoria at the weekend, leaves them ninth in Serie A. Are you pretty happy with how the season has gone so far? Yeah, I'm delighted to be honest. I didn't um, didn't really see it coming. Uh, I thought like Juric was was a good appointment, but then like I thought Gianpaolo would be quite a good appointment when. They hired him before. He he didn't really get a, a fair crack of the whip at Milan, and they panicked and got rid of him. And I thought, you know, that he'd do well. That didn't quite work out. Um, so it's been a, a little hit and miss with like coaches since uh, Ventura left. But yeah, Juric's been amazing. It's just incredible how a team that's that conceded sixty nine goals last season just looks as good as they do defensively. That they, they yeah. can really rely on um, them not giving a lot of goals away, and then. Was saying attack. I think if people that kind of vaguely follow Serie A, the, the one Torino player they'd probably be aware of is Balotti, like the captain striker. But even he's he struggled with injuries this season. There seems to be a lot of talk that he's he's actually going to leave in the summer. He's he's not signed a new contract yet. But even without him, like being at his best, like Sanabria has stepped up. They signed Brekalo from the Bundesliga in the summer. He's he's been a really good signing. So like. Even when the the main man's not been firing, they've still managed to find a way, which has been really impressive. But yeah, as I said, defensively, um, that's been that's been the biggest thing. Although in classic Torino fashion, you had a, I mean, another story that I think people will be talking about years from now is just the latest in the, the kind of what we touched on with the history earlier. But they signed a player last week, uh, Mohamed Fares, on loan from Lazio because it was he was supposed to be the replacement. Um, for Olaina, it was like paving the way for him to join Leeds. But Fares is out at the AFCON just now and then tore his ACL uh, last week in the AFCON, four days after he'd signed for Torino. So it looks like oh. he's actually going to leave Torino without ever having played a game or even been in the city. So that uh, wow. kind of sums the sums Torino up, I suppose. It's that. like club, club down to a T, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, that defeat for Sampdoria at the hands of Torino cost manager Roberto Diaversa his job. Uh, they've got just one win in their last eight matches, so I suppose it had been coming, had it? That's yeah, second. yeah, I think it was... I think they were actually supposed to sack him. Um kind of late November time, early December, and Dejan Stankovic, another 
you'll remember him, I suppose, from the, mm. the glory days of uh, Italian football. He was supposed to yeah. come in and replace him, but then uh, Sampdoria's president was arrested, and it was nothing to do with the club. It was for like um, like his own issues he had with his own personal business, yeah. but he was arrested, so that kind of put a stop to to sacking Diversa and getting Stankovic in. And then a week later, they won the derby, so that looked like it had actually bought him a bit of time, but. Yeah, they got like one win and eight, and then uh, earlier this month he lost against Calgary at home, and a game they took the lead in and were leading at half time, and it just seemed like after that it was only going to be a matter of time because Calgary, I mean, at home when you take the lead, it's when I mean, you're already on a bad run of form, and they'd already been looking to get rid of him. It, it didn't seem like there was going to be any way back after that one. Uh, but yeah. yeah, like Gianpaolo, who I mentioned earlier that came in at Torino, he's he's actually just been. Just been announced that he's back, and that's kind of well, along with Empoli, that's where he's done his best work. So, uh, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see if he can, I suppose, uh, re establish his reputation and rebuild that after what happened at Milan and Torino. Yeah, well, Claudio Ranieri was saying this week that in Italy they change managers like they buy an ice cream, which is a, a frightening thought, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> we also saw the back of San, uh, Andrei Shevchenko uh, just two months after he took over at Genoa. Uh, what happened there? They, they won. One game in the Coppa Italia, wasn't it? In two months. Yeah, yeah, that was that was quite a quite a disappointing one. I mean, like it didn't. It seemed a bit of a, a strange appointment to begin with. Um, like he hadn't really seemed to have set the header on fire with Ukraine, but I mean, he was a big name, obviously in Italian football. He's a massive mm. name there, so it was it was quite exciting having him uh, back in Italy. But yeah, I mean, he was he only lasted nine Serie A games. He, he didn't actually win any of them, but I mean. The squad, it was a squad that had won, I think they'd only won one game in the league all season before he took over anyway. And I mean, bad injuries and stuff, and they didn't have a sporting director when, when he took over. And then they hired one um, just after he arrived, and he was promised that, you know, he'd get he'd get the players that he wanted to suit his system uh, in, in January. And they'd already started signing some of those. Um, Kelvin Yabo is actually one of them, uh, Tony's nephew of. Oh, yeah. League goal of the month. Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. So he's uh, he's one of them that they've actually brought in. But then, I mean, these were the players that were supposed to be bought for Shevchenko. But uh, yeah, he's um, he's not going to get to use any of them because uh, they lost lost against Milan in the Coppa Italia last week, which was mm. quite a nice moment. He went back and he, he got a good reception and stuff at San Siro. But yeah, yeah, they've just they just didn't look like they could score goals under him, which was was the most. Um, Concerning thing, but I really didn't think that they would yeah. kind of push the panic button as quickly as they did. It seems like they did really have just panicked and <laughs> might it might cost them uh, might cost them badly now. Because I mean, in the first game without them, uh, they played Fiorentina and lost six 0 So yeah. it's, it's not looking good. <laughs> It's not looking good, yeah. Yeah, I think it was five five goals in 11 games under him, yeah, which is yeah. not great at all. Any idea who they might be appointing? Because there was some talk about Bruno Labbadia, but I think that might have fallen through now. Yeah, it looks like it's going to be Rolando Maran, um, who last coached when he was the general coach um 2020. So December 2020, I think he got sacked. And I think basically mm-hmm. the, the reason that they've gone for him after... Labadia turned him down at the last minute, which is probably a good thing actually, because an, an interview surfaced uh, just as he was about to get the job, where Labadia gave an interview two thousand and nine, I think, where he talked about how he was quite a big Sampdoria fan because of Lali oh. and Mancini, and yeah, that's that's a massive rivalry in Italy. Like, it was yeah. really 
no love lost there. So it's probably for the best that he didn't get it. But <laughs> yeah, it looks like the only reason Moran's going to get it is because he's still technically under contract at Genoa. They're still um, paying him just to sit at home. Right. So, and I mean, if it doesn't work out, Dan, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if Shevchenko, the same kind of thing maybe happened. And he ended up back yeah, there maybe there. next season if Moran keeps them up or if it goes really badly and just, yeah, to, to try and catch lightning in a bottle. I wouldn't be surprised if we've not seen the last of them there, to be honest. Yeah, it's just wild Italian football, isn't it? There's just so much mad stuff going Especially on all the time, Genoa, I mean, yeah. 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 <laughs> and reappointments they've made. Oh, yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> Let's touch a bit on the title race now because that uh, interdraw with Atalanta you mentioned earlier, that meant Milan had the chance to go top only for them to lose 2-1 to struggling Spezia on Monday night. Uh, Milan thought they'd they'd won it late on with a with a junior Messiah's goal that was ruled offside. Uh, oh, no, it wasn't offside, was it? It was disallowed. Do, do you know why? Yeah, just it was basically just that the ref um, didn't give Milan the advantage and just blew for the free kick far too quickly because... Yeah. Like a split second after the foul, wasn't it, basically? Yeah. yeah, like literally, yeah. Like Rebic gets fouled, the ball's rolling away from him, he, the referee blows, and, but the ball's like literally it's rolled and it's rolled right to Messias and yeah, it's an amazing finish. Um, and he's he's obviously, he's if people aren't aware, he's a great mm. story as well. Uh, junior Messias, like he just went, moved to Italy um, like 10 years ago to become a delivery driver was playing like amateur football uh, right up until I think like 2017 and then slowly got spotted in like Serie D and moved his way up the ranks and then yeah like this season he's scoring winning goals in the Champions League so yeah he's he's an amazing story but yeah he should have had another winning goal there like you said it was it was a ridiculous decision and I think to be fair the referee I think he acknowledged when the Milan players were surrounded <laughs> him and he knew pretty quickly that that he'd made the mistake, but I mean, yeah, a really costly one because Spezia obviously caught them out in the break, like ninety sixth minute, and and won it. And it's yeah, you just you you worry about um, Milan in the second half, like they kind of did this last season as well, where they had um, an amazing end of the previous season and an amazing start to the next one. So pretty much for like um, a lot of twenty twenty one, like the calendar year, Milan were probably the best team. Um, in the league for like well a good like eighteen month kind of spell but then fell away, um so you kind of yeah you're a bit concerned that the same thing might happen because they do look quite tired of struggle with like injuries the of players are away at the Afcon mm. and stuff um just now as well so it looks as if that was a huge chance miss because even just psychologically for them like at this point in the season end of January if they had went top of the league you'd kind of Really thought that they were they were in it in the fight, but they've yeah handed the initiative straight back to to the old rivals across the city. Yeah, I was going to ask do you think do you think Milan pose the greatest threat to to Inter for the Scudetto, or or could Napoli or Atalanta or maybe even Juventus get involved? I think like Milan probably are the they're probably the biggest threat, but yeah, I just worry about um, the size of their squad and like if more injuries kind of happen down the stretch that, that it could really hurt them. Napoli have been like a real surprise. I don't think anybody saw this coming and like it'd be amazing for them, like after all that the city went through, like Maradona and Insigne's leaving in the summer, mm. it would be an incredible story if they could kind of sign off for Insigne by winning the league. But I mean I just don't think that they've got the consistency and then I think Atalanta and Juve are probably just that bit too far behind. So 
kind of looking at it, and it at the start of December, like maybe a month, five, six weeks ago, it really looked as if there was going to be an amazing title race on the cards, but yeah, it slowly started to go away. And I just think that they're they're just quite too good for the rest. I think that their squad's too good, and Zaggy's just an absolutely incredible coach. And I think they'll just have far too much. Um, that the likes of Milan and Napoli, I just don't see them being able to last the course with them. Um, and maybe- yeah, I was I was saying to the boys who were on last week that it's it's looking like Serie A is going to be the best title race in Europe this this year. But uh, I don't know about that anymore. It seems to have changed. Now. I know, yeah, it really did. It's usually always like Turkey every year always seems to yeah. be the one that you've got like three or four. And I really thought Serie A was going to be like that. Like it really, really looked that like there was about four teams um, who all who all were in the shake up. But I mean, maybe I don't know. I mean, every time people seem to write off Juve, they they come out of nowhere like they. Yeah, I suppose they're capable of winning every single game and causing mm. problems, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> just can't see it. But hey, I tell you where there is a big title race going on, and that's in Scotland. Uh, you're also a, <laughs> a massive Celtic fan. It's very interesting times at Parkhead at the moment. Uh, so interesting that John Hamm was at the game on Monday. Did you see that? He was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how, how, how have you found the season so far under Angie Postacoglu? Uh, yeah, really, really exciting, really fun. Um, Obviously, the season before didn't go so well, and I think everyone was really uh, quite low about the whole situation. It wasn't not just like on the playing side, but there's a lot of off-field stuff, and it even carried on into this season. Mm. But yeah, he's he's just been an absolute breath of fresh air. And I mean, when when you think that Celtic came really close and really wanted uh, Eddie Howe to get the job to like go kind of from that oh, yeah. to this guy who was. I mean, I think a lot of people are willing to give him the time when when Ange got appointed, but I don't think a lot of people knew um, too much about him. But yeah, it's been he's just been a, a, like I said, a real breath of fresh air. He, he kind of takes no prisoners from anyone. He'll he'll give straight answers. He quite open, honest, and then he, he just wants to play and all the he, and he's getting the best out of players that you really thought that. They were finished. Like I think Anthony Ralston's probably the best example of that. Like a right back who mm. sent out on loan to St Johnston not that long ago looked ugh, just completely finished as a Celtic player, and he's turned him into like I think he was in the who scored Europa League team of the group stages and stuff like wow. just an incredible yeah. uh, revival. So yeah, it's been it's been really really fun, and he's obviously already won uh, his first trophy last month as well. So yes, hopefully indeed. the first one. Yeah. <laughs> and he uh, obviously he's, he's got experience of, of coaching in. Various parts of the world, including Japan, and he's he's I've I've lost count on the number of the Japanese players uh, you've signed under under Angie. Yeah, uh, that, so now, one one more, and it's, we could get a five aside team. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the latest the latest hero is uh, is Daisan Maeda. He scored on his debut against uh, Hibs on Monday. Does he look like a a good signing? Yeah, yeah. Looks looks really exciting. Um, so sharp and really quick. And uh, obviously, we've only seen him in one game for Celtic, but I mean, even. From clips you'd seen in in Japan, he was top scorer in the J League uh, last season, and yeah, it's just been just it looks like it's really uh, found another good one there. It's because Celtic in the last maybe ten years, I think me and a few friends were talking about this the other day. But uh, strikers, it's been a lot more missed than hit. Like kind of spent a lot of money, and if you added up all the money, like these two three million gambles, um, you could have bought like a real a real talent um, instead but yeah this guy looks like the real deal but then he was kind of uh, 
over Sean or out Sean, whatever, whatever the phrase might be, on his debut by uh, another one of the, the new signings, uh, Rio Hatati the, mm. um, in midfield. He was he was absolutely incredible. And then, obviously, as I said, like the the manager doesn't doesn't take any prisoners. I think he was asked after the game if uh, Hatati was going to become the new Nakamura. And, <laughs> yeah, he didn't uh, didn't take that that one too. Early. I don't think he's interested in any of those kind of lazy comparisons. But I mean, he. he Maybe not that good, but he definitely he's he's another one. Like technically, he just looks like a, a really good player as well. I was wondering actually if any of these Japanese players said, "Oh, I've been following Celtic since Nakamura played here" or anything like that. I think they kind of goad uh, a lot of them into. I yeah. Think when they get asked the the in-house media questions, I think a lot of them are are leading questions. I think even the manager got tricked into. A, <laughs> I used to have Kenny Dalglish posters on. Oh uh, yeah. Think, so, <laughs> yeah, um, I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, I think Nakamura's even still playing now, so I'm sure they're they're well aware of him. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose the other the other uh, Japanese player who's really caught the eye this season is uh, Kyogo Furuhashi. Um, I take it you're a big fan of him as well. Oh, absolutely love yeah. him. Love him. <laughs> uh, he's um, it's it's amazing to think. Uh, like that was one signing in the summer that that really came out of nowhere, and it seemed like in the space of twenty four hours it was it was done. But I mean, at the last minute, I think even had teams like PSV and stuff were um, coming in and trying to sign him at the end. And yeah, you, you can see why he's just so intelligent, like he's so fast, and he's just like a real infectious personality as well. He just seems like that. He's sort of always got a smile on his face and stuff. He's just yeah. Uh, I think everybody's. Really taking him their hearts uh, quite quickly. The only problem is, I think he's um, last five six weeks. He's kind of really been struggling with like a hamstring problem, and I think yeah. he came off the hospital bed to play in the cup final. Scored two of the most amazing finishes <laughs> I've seen in a cup final. Like while he was basically playing on one leg, <laughs> while Celtic were a goal down as well. So yeah, it's been it's been worth it um, to to get him for and for that alone. But yeah, hopefully it's it's going to be. Plenty more of that to come. He really does look like a, a brilliant player. He sure does, yeah. And it would be remiss of me not to ask you about notable former Torino goalkeeper Joe Hart. <laughs> is uh, it uh... former City goalkeeper? Yeah. Well, did he play for City? I don't remember that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is it is it correct of me to say that he's he's resurrected his career at Celtic Park? Ah, uh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. He he just seems like one who's uh, he's kind of bought into it all quite quickly mm. and um, maybe surprised by. By um, I guess like how how quickly people took to him, but also, I guess like the the pressure and stuff like that that comes with. I mean, I think a lot of people, maybe on the outside, maybe look at it and all oh, one or two team league or whatever. But I mean, like you play for Celtic or you play for Rangers, like you literally are expected to win every game, yeah. even if it's against Barcelona in the Champions League. Yeah. You kind of fa- fans think, oh well, we should should be able to give him a game. So, and he's the kind of guy like he's obviously been in dressing rooms and been at teams where that's been the case for him a lot in the past uh, not so much at Torino I guess more in <laughs> City and England and this kind of but yeah I mean like it's, it's, it was weird it just seemed like he'd have been a forgotten man at Tottenham but he's uh, he's not he's, he's just been a really really good uh, signing considering uh, that I don't think expectations were were all that high he's, he, he's had a few little like shaky moments here and there, but mostly just from um, kind of delaying on the ball when it's played back, like nothing kind of reflex-wise or, or anything like that, which, I mean, I think that was a thing in England, wasn't it, with this whole he can't dive to his left Yeah, uh, thing was a thing. And then, I mean, any time now 
he makes a shot low to his left. People were turning around the guy next to them and saying, oh, there we go, another one, <laughs> another one saved. So, yeah, he's he's not really put a foot wrong. I mean, he's uh, so far, he's, he's been absolutely immense in some games. Like, he by our Leverkusen away in the Europa League, he absolutely outstanding, like one of the best uh, performances I've seen from a goalkeeper. And if it wasn't for him, I mean, we'd have lost. Uh, well, we still lost, but lost by a lot more that night. Yeah. Really, really good. Yeah, he, he was having dodgy moments even at the peak of his powers, Joe Hart. I think that's always been in his locker, but <laughs> he was one of the best goalkeepers in the world at one point about seven or eight years ago. Lionel, uh, yeah, Lionel Messi called him a phenomenon and he, he knows a thing or two about football, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did, he, did he not have that City as well? He did like one, I can't remember if it was an amazing like, game, I remember one save at like, the new Camp, it might have been against Messi, yeah. but... Like, we, play, we played yeah. Barca once and he had an incredible game. We played Dortmund at home once he had an incredible game in the Champions League as well. And yeah. yeah. I'm so glad for him that he's 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 got his career back on track and he's playing for a big club and the fans love him. It's it's what he deserves. Yeah, he actually seems like quite a, a nice guy yeah. as well. Um, with all the rest of it. Absolutely. I'm afraid I must also ask you about Rangers. Uh, and uh, You don't have to. Don't I, I, I do. I, I wouldn't be doing my job if I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, of course, won the league last season. Then they lost manager Steven Gerrard to Aston Villa. Giovanni Van Bronckhorst has taken over there now. How's he done so far? Yeah, he's uh, he's done well, actually. he's. I don't think they've lost in the league under him. Um, not dropped a lot of points. Obviously, it's, um, he came in just as Gerard left before the the League Cup semi final that he was he was in the stands that day and, and Hibbs absolutely destroyed them, like ran them ragged and uh, it's it was quite impressive to, like I suppose that he he'd kinda watched that and, and I mean they were three 0 three one down at half time but you had people saying even though he didn't have the work permit like that he wanted them down in the dressing room and, and having words with them at half time in that one, which I, <laughs> I think uh wouldn't have been allowed, but I mean, obviously they watched that game and he's he's quickly put anything that went wrong uh, that day right. Um, yeah, they've been they've just kind of carried on a lot of the a lot of the same work. They've been just a really organised, um, really solid team, and uh, even in Europe, you know, they continue to pick up good results as well. So, um, good. What's your chagrin? Yeah, good. I mean. <laughs> Borussia Dortmund next in the Europa League. I think it's going to be quite, yeah. a, quite a hard one. But um, yeah, I think he's he's done he's done an impressive job as well. And it's just I was quite annoyed that that uh, Roy McKay joined them in, as part of the background team. Oh yeah, that's he, right, he was yeah. one I quite liked as a player. But obviously, I'll, I'll have to rethink that now. <laughs> so when's the next old firm now? Um, the second of February. It was supposed to be played. Lovely stuff. And last question. I mean, I remember talking to you a couple of years ago when Celtic were gunning for ten titles in a row and saying, "Yeah, but what next? What, what what's your what's your aim after that?" And you were talking about breaking world records and all sorts. Yeah, yeah I know. It's, it's all my fault, Dan. <laughs> Obviously, you you lost the title. Now you're trying to win it back. With that in mind, will the next one, if it's this season or next season or whatever, will that feel more special than than a lot of those ones you 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 won during that stranglehold that you had on the league for such a long time. Um, I think it would it would just for for like Ange and, and this squad. It's just he's he's honestly he's already like um, and it's only been like six months, but I think he might he's maybe the like my favourite manager that oh, we've wow. had in like my lifetime, apart from maybe Martin Money. Just just to like listen to, him and he just seems like um, just a really personable guy and the kind of guy. Wants to play good football, but talks straight. So it's pretty much like just for him, 
Uh, mostly, I just really love um, him to get it done in his first season. Not really at all the stuff the last last year or ten years, I guess, doesn't wouldn't really factor in that much. Although it would be nice to to yeah get it back, and then it looks like um, the winner of this season's cha- uh, league title will go straight into the Champions League as well. So you're obviously talking yeah. big money as well. So even for like that side of things, like it's. I think it's really important that you be the one to win it. So, I mean, that kind of stuff I'll leave. Uh, the guys in the boardroom, they, they can be the ones to, to worry about what it means financially. But yeah, just for like, the manager of this, this group of players, it would be, I'd be really, really delighted um, for them if they could get it over the line. And now for the third and final part of the show, here to discuss German football's English Avoca, it's Jan Schultz. Hello, Jan. Hi, Dan. Glad to be here. Welcome aboard. Uh, so let's start with your, your favourite moment of the week in German football, please. Oh, that's that's an easy one. Like I, I'd wish to to uh, to go for for the Hertha game yesterday, but I have to go for the for the Mainz uh, for the Kainz penalty. So from the match Cologne against Hartford. I don't know if you've. Have you seen it? Shall I talk? No, about? I didn't actually. Yeah. Tell me about it. Yeah. So it was like the penalty shootout between Cologne and Hamburg and DFB Pokal, obviously. And Kainz was the was the last one to take it, so he had to score. And he actually scored, but he slipped while he won while he ran up to the ball, <laughs> hit his supporting leg, and thus had two contacts before scoring the goal. And that's why the goal was disallowed. There was no replay of the of the penalty, so Cologne lost, even though he wow. scored the the yeah decisive penalty. Oh, there was no replay! Wow. Yeah, it was no replay. Apparently, that's the rule. Uh, didn't know about that before, but yeah. Wow. So it's really it's really strange. Yeah. Wow, that's so unfortunate. <laughs> Devastating, was it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, well, as I mentioned, it was a English Avoca in Germany this week. Can you explain to those who might not know why you call it that English Week? <laughs> that's that's actually a good question. I have I have to be honest. I had to look that up myself. Um, so Eng- English week just just the 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 uh, the easy translation uh, just means that the clubs are playing midweek in between uh, two league games mm-hmm. uh, or match days. And um, I think it's just take bec- from from the English football because like you guys have so <laughs> many so many football going on with with I don't know at least two cups and more league games uh, a season because obviously you have two two teams yeah. more in the league so four matches more and that's why I, I think you guys have have mid football week on a more regular basis and, I, and I've read actually that that you guys just call it a three game week is that right pretty much yeah yeah that's that's usually the standard term yeah I, I just love that you uh, you call it an English week for that reason it makes me quite <laughs> proud actually like <laughs> it's sort of considered preposterous to play three games in one week and probably it is to be honest so yeah fair enough uh, so as you mentioned you're, you're a Hertha fan it was the yes. Berlin derby in the DFB Pokal on Wednesday night uh, unfortunately for you Union won 3-2 at the Olympia Stadion was that a big disappointment for Hertha or were you kind of expecting to lose going into this game oh I like I have to be honest like it was probably the first time that I didn't feel that we were the favourites to win the game mm. even though obviously like it's a cup match and you never know what in a cup match happens. It's, you know, as, as we say in Germany, the cup has its own rules. <laughs> um, so, like, I, I wouldn't say I didn't expect that, expect that. But if you look at the, the teams that are left in the, in the DFB Pokal by now, 
And if you look at the history of Hertha and the DFB-Pokal, obviously it's still the big dream to reach the final and on your home ground. Um, it's just an incredible big opportunity missed and losing against Union that match. So it's, it's still a big disappointment. It's probably mm. one of the biggest disappointments within the last, let's say, 10 years probably. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, man. I was hoping you would come on today triumphant, feeling good about everything. But <laughs> Yeah, I would have loved to. <laughs> <laughs> how, how are you feeling about Hertha generally at the moment? I mean, a couple of years ago, there was a lot of ambition around the club. There was this talk of the big city club. Mm. Some interesting signings were being made. There seems to be a lot less noise coming from the big city club these days. Is that correct? Yeah, that's that's definitely true. So if, if I'm talking about what, what how I feel about, about Hertha at the moment, probably it's uh, obviously it's a bit difficult right now saying that after the match uh, against Union, mm. if we're talking a bit more general, like obviously it's been it's been less noise compared to the let's say the, the short Klinsmann era and all the beginning stuff yeah um i'd say most for mostly thanks to the by now former ceo carsten schmidt who, who mm. actually stepped down for for personal reasons and um sporting director Freddy bobic who signed in summer who arrived in summer he signed before and because both I kind of realized the let's say the true true situation in the club, mm. um, which is by f or which is far off the words that Vintors used. So the the investor who was talking about Champions League titles and yeah. big city club and obviously all that is not ha hasn't arrived like since he arrived, um, <laughs> and like right now we have a like a third season in a row of rebuilding the team. Because things didn't work out, the the players signed um, by former sporting director Michael Preetz didn't really work. Like for example, Piontek, uh, yeah. Genduzi who was there for, for some time, oh, Cordova. Yeah, yeah. Um, so expensive players that already left the club. Um, Konya kind of as well, even though he brought in some cash. And like also because because of Corona right now, there's not really the the possibility to to fully invest like it, it might might sound strange but even though Hertha has the investor right now Freddy Bobic had to make sure he gets like a positive cash um from from the transfers in uh, during summer right yeah um so yeah right now it's it's more like going the small steps and then by that reaching the the target set by Vintors in I don't know maybe five to ten years uh, it's really difficult to say when, <laughs> when this will be possible but yeah <laughs> are Hertha likely to move away from the Olympia Stadion anytime soon it seems like there's been a lot of talk about a new stadium potential new stadium yeah. but nothing seems to be really happening yeah that's that's actually a, a kind of a sad topic because in the club everybody knows how important it is to the club or to, to, the, to the whole club and in the politics you, you, you've actually had the feeling that they, that they realised how important it is for the club as well um, but that was only last year. Um, but right now, there's not really much going on. So the set, the once set target of moving into an own stadium in 2025 is, is not possible anymore. Mm. And right now, it's really difficult to say when, when this will happen. But it will probably happen. The question is when and will they stay in Berlin or will they actually leave Berlin because they don't get the possibility to build a stadium in Berlin. Yeah, where else would they go if they if they left Berlin? Um, actually still close. So in Brandenburg then, 
uh, because like right. as you, as you know Brandenburg is is quite close and also quite big yeah um but still that would be really strange because um well the had as a Berlin club and <laughs> would, would play in Brandenburg yeah. then that, that would be really strange and not really what the fans want but might be the only opportunity. Yeah, I couldn't help but notice how bad the pitch was during the game last night. Was that just because of the Berlin winter, or is there another reason for that? It was sort of almost yellow the grass, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like the the pitch was a was a big topic throughout the last yeah probably months, not only weeks, <laughs> um, because it was horrible for for many many matches. And apparently they they brought in new pitch for for the Union match. But it didn't really look new. I have to to be honest with that. <laughs> um, so yeah, I can't really tell about that. Well, that, that's obviously one yeah. reason to to get your own stadium to <laughs> to control that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of uh, of Berlin football, how do Hertha fans feel about having Union in the Bundesliga now? They've been here for mm. what? This is the third mm. season in the top flight after so long away. Are you are you kind of glad to to compete with your rivals on a regular basis, or would you prefer it if they were still down there in the Zweite Bundesliga? Uh, I'd say there's a truth in in both of these uh, parts, <laughs> um, because like obviously, I, I don't think I have to tell anyone that uh, that Derby's spice up the the football. Yeah, and um, obviously, it's really nice, especially as as Hertha didn't really have like a like a real rivalry for like let's say at least ten years. Yeah, um, I remember that Rostock and Cottbus were playing in the, when they were playing in the Bundesliga, which is ages ago, right by now. Um, there was some some kind of rivalry, so it's actually nice to have this this kind of rivalry back, especially if, as we don't have have um, a big like derby history with Union, so it's kind of nice making history right now. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, obviously, it it kind of sucks to see a different club from from your own city having uh, having success, especially as it <laughs> as it's like, there has never been any doubts about who's the biggest club in town for like nearly one hundred years. Yeah. Um. So th- that's strange now, and I'd also say, um, obviously, with Union having success right now and Hertha playing bad. It's. Uh, I think that's what really bothers the Hertha fans that Union is doing better than Hertha. I don't think it would be <laughs> a big problem if like Hertha would do well and Union. I mean, they could do well anyway, but if we would do better, so it's it's probably not the best timing for Union to establish themselves in, uh, as a Bundesliga club from a Hertha perspective, at least. Yeah. Yeah, well, they, they got a taste of European football yes. with the Conference League this season. They're currently only one point off the Champions League spots. Mm. I mean, I don't imagine they're going to finish in the Champions League spots, but they're, they're doing pretty well. I mean, uh, putting your, your rivalry aside for a moment, you must be pretty impressed with the job Urs Fischer has done for yes. them. Yes, definitely. Like, he's he's doing an amazing job, and I can't really believe that. That I, I feel like he's still underrated, in my opinion. Mm. And I don't really get why he hasn't been, like, connected to any or linked to any bigger club when it comes to to getting into finding a new coach if you look back to last summer seven out of the eight top clubs of seven of the eight clubs that finished at the top eight in the Bundesliga Mm -hmm. last season um they they got a new coach so the only one not getting a new coach out of these eight clubs was Union I was really wondering why why none of these clubs were actually apparently thinking about Urs Fischer because he's I think he's like he's he's really good. He he started um, working there when they were still in the in the second Bundesliga, and he managed to to adapt like every every season, all all again because they were playing quite dominant football in the in the second Bundesliga. But all, obviously, when they got promoted, 
they played a much more defensive football with uh, long balls to to Anderson when, when they had him as a as a striker mm-hmm. and uh, were relying on on set pieces and and a, and a really good defense but um last season they had a, they had kind of a transformation and this season even more they're playing more dominant now they they're pressing high they they're trying to like let's say actually play football with with Max Kruse as their uh, um playmaker and so he's really he's not um stuck into one system but he's he can really adapt so i think he would would be a a good coach for for probably every team and i think uh, by by now he's the um he's the um yeah second second longest reigning coach in the bundesliga only only behind christian schachtreich who is i think the number one in europe's top five leagues so that's not a Yeah, oh, that's a pretty impressive thing. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have to say that uh, that goal from Andreas Vogelsammer mm. last night was uh, was particularly good. And yes. uh, Union's top scorer is away at the African Cup of Nations at the moment as well, isn't he? So uh, yeah, it's 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 impressive how how unreliable they are on on certain players. Because if you if you look back on yesterday's oh, yeah on yesterday's match, they started without Trimmel, who was their like mm. one of their most important players throughout the last few years. They they lost uh, Andrich in summer to Leverkusen, no problem at all. They lost uh, Gikiewicz after their first season in Bundesliga, got a good replacement with Lute. They lost um, Friedrich now to Gladbach and got Heinz in. So they somehow already uh, always managed to to keep it fluid. Yeah. Very impressive stuff. And uh, let's touch on some other Bundesliga talking points now, starting with Dortmund. Uh, they beat Freiburg 5-1 mm. on Friday night and then lost to second division St. Pauli in the Pokal on Tuesday. Do you think we saw the best and worst of Dortmund in the same week? Oh yeah, pr- pretty pretty much. Yeah. It was, <laughs> it was, I'd say it was kind of classic Dortmund. <laughs> yeah. It was like, on, like really against Freiburg, they probably had their best performance under Marco Rosa. There was, um, they were maybe apart from 10 to 15 minutes, They were mostly stable defensively, defensively, mm-hmm. and fluent on the other end on the uh, of the pitch. I mean, like they scored five goals against uh, Freiburg, and Freiburg had the best defense of the league before that match. Yeah, and they've been in the in the Champions League spots for a reason. So you just you don't score for fun against them and <laughs> only concede one. Um, but then again, on on Tuesday, you like basically didn't see any of these attributes when they played against St. Pauli. They're uh, too open on the on the counter attack, and that's by far not for the first time in Dortmund. Um, they had difficulties in the in the build up play, much too slow, and they ended up having no real threat in front of goal, even though playing Holland for the full for full uh, for the full time. Um, he hasn't been a factor like Royce or Bellingham didn't create anything special, and mostly, and I, and I know Dortmund fans hate that word, but they. They were lacking mentality. Um, they like they, you didn't have the feeling they were they were actually fighting, and mm. there was there was a big point because like you could clearly see St. Pauli obviously as the smaller team, the second Bundesliga team. Um, they gave everything they had, and it was there was clear before the kickoff, and still Dortmund didn't manage to to accept the fight, to fight back, you know, show show power. And also, they they didn't manage to to um, to overcome that with maybe creativity or so. So yeah, you you could say they were lacking Dahoud because he was uh, missing because of back pain. But that was 
that would be probably a bit too a bit too easy <laughs> yeah yeah i like moda who but you can't build a team around him can you really you have, you have to uh <laughs> you can't rely on him to be uh to be your, your main player yeah i mean i mean against the second bundesliga team dortmund should be should be able to to win even without him so i'd I'd say even Holland should be enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. A quick word on St. Pauli, though, who are currently top of the mm. second Bundesliga. Would you be happy to see them promoted this year? Uh, yeah, definitely. Because, I mean, they are playing entertaining football. And as you can see uh, in the cup, they can even bother big clubs, um, even though with a, with, a different, um, with a different like playing style. So obviously they were sitting deeper and waiting for the counter. Um, there would definitely be a be a nice addition to the Bundesliga, and I mean, obviously because of the fans as well. I don't think I have to say much about them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you mentioned earlier that the, the the tournament, the the Pokal, is really opened up now. So you got Freiburg, mm-hmm. Union, uh, RB Leipzig, Hanover, St. Pauli, and Bochum into the, the last stages. Who do you think is gonna gonna go on and win that now? Oh, it's it's really difficult to say right now. I mean, obviously, probably Leipzig are the biggest favorites right now um, because obviously they have. Like right now, they have the best squad. But if you look at the Bundesliga, they are struggling this season. Uh, even though they, I think they had a good start to the to the second half of the season with Tedesco now. Um, so they're probably favorites. But I actually think Union have a have a good chance as well because they beat they've beaten uh, Leipzig like twice within the last uh, seven months. Um, but pretty much this this cup season is really much unpredictable. So. I, I wouldn't bet on a winner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Hamburg and Karlsruhe are the other two teams in the uh, in the in the last eight. Uh, I I love I love to see Karlsruhe winning it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, back to Dortmund and, and speaking after that win over Freiburg on Friday, uh, Erling Haaland gave a pretty mm. revealing interview to Norwegian TV where he said the club are pressuring him to make a decision on his future. He'd rather just focus on playing on his football though. Was he was he right to come out and say that? Do you think, or was it perhaps a bit of a, a calculated move from Team Haaland at the moment? Mm, I don't feel it was calculated. I wouldn't say it was. Uh, it wasn't, even though there were some rumors about that. I know. Um, I think he was just clearly annoyed by Dortmund because obviously you, you can see he's having fun while while he's on the pitch or mm-hmm. after he scores goals. Um, so I think it's it's kind of natural as a human to talk about your your feelings this way, um, but you also have to have to say that it probably wasn't too clever. Um, and especially, I think Dortmund is right with putting pressure on him because obviously they they need a decision quite soon because they can't control if he leaves during the summer because obviously he has a buyout clause. So if mm. any of of all the clubs interested, and there will be a lot, um, they if if one one says okay, we pay the the I think it is seventy five million euros. Yeah, um, Dortmund can't do anything, and they might lose their their best player. I don't know, let's say in July or August, and they find themselves in a, in a very difficult position to, to then get a new striker who has to get into the team really quick to replace him. Mm. Um, so I think it's Dortmund is absolutely correct with putting the pressure on him right now to, to get a decision and to, to know if they have to approach, um, I don't know, like Vlaovic, for example, which I think would be a good addition for Dortmund. Mm. Might be dependent on the, on the price, though. Um, Patrick Patrick Schick, he's been mentioned as a possible successor. He's doing very well yeah. with Leverkusen, isn't he? So. Yeah, I think he w- he would uh, he would fit in there as well because he's he's not only like a he's not he's not only a poacher, but he can he can actually play. So that w- that would fit into the into the uh, Dortmund offense. 
Absolutely. Uh, elsewhere, Bayern Munich set a new Bundesliga record by scoring in 66 consecutive games when they beat Köln mm. 4-0 on Saturday, uh, a game in which Thomas Müller notched up the 150th assist of his career. Is Müller considered one of the, the best German footballers of all time at this point in his, his career? Um, I don't really feel like we have, we have that kind of discussions going around in Germany, yeah. at least not at the moment, um, which is not, not, really, or not only regarding him, but it's the same for Toni Kroos, who won four Champions League titles with two different clubs. Mm. It's, it's not even regarding uh, record-breaking Lewandowski. But um, as, as we want to make this a discussion right now, or, I mean, I can make it short because I'd say, yes, he definitely is. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's crazy numbers. It's, um, he has been so consistent for, for the last 10 to 15 years. He's, been, he's played a crucial part um, in Bayern's success for all that for all the wins, for all the, the titles. Uh, same goes for the national team. Obviously, he had his ups and downs as well. You know, he was out at, uh, yeah. at the national team for, for uh, I think, 18 months. And also, he had, a, had, a, had um, some discussions with Niko Kovac. But after, he le- after Kovac left, Müller came back even stronger, setting an assist record last season um, with 21 assists in the Bundesliga. And he will probably even pulverize this one this year yeah. because he's already have he already has eighteen assists after ninety mat, ninety match days, which is well, is crazy. <laughs> like, yeah, he, he just I, I'm always fascinated by Müller because he doesn't sort of carry himself like a footballer. He doesn't look like he should be a footballer. His, te- yeah. his technique is kind of strange sometimes, but he's just his, yeah. his numbers are insane, aren't they? And he's just he's just so consistent. That, uh, yeah. I'm a big fan. Yeah, and that's 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 what it's what it's all about after all, isn't it, in football? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, elsewhere, Borussia Mönchengladbach goalkeeper Jan Sommer saved two penalties but couldn't prevent his side losing 2-1 to Leverkusen at the weekend. Do you feel a bit sorry for Sommer? Do you think he should be perhaps playing for a better team than, than Gladbach and is almost sort of like wasted the best years of his career there possibly? Oh, you, you definitely have to have to feel sorry for him. Um, mm. Obviously, like saving two penalties in, in, in one match, it, like it's a, that's crazy. And then not winning. Uh, even though, or especially as he as he had some some more amazing saves in that game, um, and in, in in general actually, because in a this this year's struggling Gladbach team, he's by far their best player so far, mm. um, because he's been as consistent as he's been throughout the last years. And saying that, I mean he's been he's been in or he he arrived in Gladbach eight years ago or seven and a half years ago, and ever since like. Gladbach, they had, they had a great time. They played, uh, they played in the Champions League, um, I think at least twice. And they played European football so many times. So I think right now they're just having like a, you know, that, like a kind of a down. Obviously, it's a big down going out in the cup as well. Um, but I think the quality in the team is, is still good enough. They have a good coach, I think. And they have a clever sporting director with Max Eber, who's always finding finding good solutions, yeah. even though right now it's financially, it's difficult for, for Gladbach, you have to say that. Um, so I think, obviously, this this season, it will be difficult until the, until the end of the season, or until the end for, for Gladbach. But starting from next season, I'd say they will probably go up again, and then he should stay there. Yeah, and that, and that win for Leverkusen in that game that leaves them third in the table. They got a new coach in the summer, Gerardo mm. Sione. He took he took over, and he's he's done pretty well, hasn't he? Very well, in fact. Yeah. Ah, yeah. 
he, he is definitely. Um, even though I have to say Leverkusen being third is kind of a surprise mm. because they have been like they had an amazing start to the season uh, until they faced Bayern and really got got hammered, <laughs> um, and that really hit them hard because they they were having troubles the the, the matches after that. Um, so they are still inconsistent as always, which is that's always a problem of Leverkusen. Um, especially lately, they have been throwing away so many leads, and you could actually, from a, from a point of a Leverkusen fan, you could actually fear could have feared that again for the Gladbach game because they were two 0 up, and then obviously had two penalties as well, <laughs> and uh, nearly nearly managed to to throw that one away. Um, but overall, I think Zeuana has stabilized the team, even though they still concede too many goals. Um, but he definitely. He definitely made the the team more fluid at the at the other end of the pitch because like last season they really had had troubles going forward even though they have good players. Um, that's not a problem right now, not only because of Schick but also because of of, of their whole yeah. playing style. And after all, you also see him like improving improving players like like Schick, who's having his best season so far. Wurz, obviously, and or Frimpong maybe as well, who's doing really well. Yeah, Diaby I like at Leverkusen as well. Yeah, um, a lot, yeah. I want to finish, uh, Jan, by asking you about your YouTube channel because uh, <laughs> I had Dominic Dominic on the podcast last week as well, who's your co-host. Tell, uh, us, tell us what yes. that's all about. Uh, yeah, the, the, the channel is called Trikotage. Um, so as you maybe can already hear, it's in German and we're talking about jerseys. <laughs> jerseys from all around the world, just what, we, what we're up to right now and yeah, lately we've, we haven't been doing so much, but like uh, usually we plan, we actually do one video per week and then we, we just talk about recent jerseys, leagues or maybe some classical stuff. Yeah. So the question is, what's the best jersey in the Bundesliga this season, in your opinion? Oh, this season? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> um, that's, a, that's a tough question. I'm going to say Hertha but, home jersey, to be honest. I really like Hertha it. Home jer- yeah. I, I remember we actually had a discussion about this. Yeah, we did. <laughs> um so if, if we're talking about Hertha, I much uh, I prefer the away one, but I'd say from the Bundesliga right now, I'd go with the home jersey of Freiburg, which is kind of wild, but also fits their kind of identity with the with the forest around and yeah. Well, that's all we've got time for on this episode of the European Tour podcast. I've been Dan Burke and a big thank you to all my guests for their insight this week and to you for listening at home or wherever you are. I will be back again next week to take you on another guided tour of the biggest storylines in European football. But until then, if you would like to contact any of our podcasts with a question or a query, the email address to do so is podcast at onefootball.com. I never